Doppelgart that joint, my friend. Pass it over to me. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Moll of Commonwealth Magazine, and with me today are my colleagues Michael Jonas and Jack Sullivan. We're going to be talking about the Wayne's World antics of Beacon Hill lawmakers as they try to resolve differences between the House and Senate on marijuana legislation. The two branches were far apart on several key issues last week, but nevertheless, they were widely expected to get a bill done that week. Now, a week later, we're still waiting. The situation came to a head Wednesday night when House Speaker Robert DeLeo issued a statement just after 6 p.m. saying he was asking the members of the House working on the pot bill to suspend negotiations with the Senate until differences surrounding the budget for the current fiscal year are resolved. Quote, the budget and marijuana negotiations were never linked by the House, nor should they be, said the Speaker. Tying unrelated negotiations together for political leverage does a disservice to the residents of the Commonwealth. Not to be outdone, Senate President Stanley Rosenberg quickly followed with his own statement. The mischief makers are once again at work, he said. The Senate has not and will not link the budget and marijuana negotiations, period. The Senate is fully committed to continuing negotiations on both the budget and marijuana legislation simultaneously. As if that wasn't enough, on Thursday he added, in the Senate we can walk and chew gum at the same time and we would invite the House to join us. Jack, you've been following this story for us. What does it all mean? That's a real good question, Bruce. I don't, it's, there is a thought process going on that um, this is a temper tantrum by the House, that they're not getting their own way. Um, and, And the basis for that is that the House has traditionally had leverage when it comes to negotiations because of their outsized representation on um, um, the joint committees as well as holding the purse strings. Um, but with this, they have, they have basically written a repeal and replace bill that would take over the voter-approved law, um, whereas the Senate version is more in tune with the referendum. Um, but the problem for the House is that we have a law in place. The voters approved it in November. So they're not looking to construct a law uh, as much as they think that they are. What they're trying to do is amend the law, and they're going to need the Senate to go along with it. And the Senate is not going along with it. And that's an unusual dynamic for them. Um, you know, uh, Michael, you've written about the speaker in the past. And this sort of 6 p.m. pronouncement uh, sort of coming out of nowhere. What do you make of that? I was was a little taken aback by it uh, because I think in general he's a guy who works behind the scenes. Uh, He's not overly fixated on process. I don't think, uh, you know, most people wouldn't call him a liberal and they certainly wouldn't call him a process liberal, the phrase that gets tossed around a lot on on Beacon Hill for people who are overly... uh, Focused on you know on, on how you get to a to an end result, I think he's much more of a let's sit down and 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 work this thing out. So wheeling and dealing, backroom dealing, horse trading, however you want to term it, that's you know the coin of the realm up there. And I think Bob DeLeo has been happily uh, you know engaging in that for for a long time. 
So I, I just think it, it it was a surprising move from him, and and he's also just not one to sort of issue statements like that that are kind of midstream as as a process is unfolding. There's much more a tendency for them to you know have nothing to say basically while things are in process and, and try to work it out. That's that's one of the interesting things that I found too. I mean, we, we've all covered the the legislature for some years now, and. Whenever there's a conference committee going on, um, you know, it's bound to get contentious, it's bound to get heated, it's bound to get tense, and they go to their own corners. They go their separate ways and cool off and then come back together again. I don't recall any time that there's been a statement that's been issued saying we're suspending negotiations. You know, it's it's rarely ever talked about it. So it, it raises the question, why now? Why was there this need to... Uh, um, put it out there. And I think one of the things that, that you indicated, Bruce, was that um, the, the House uh, or DeLeo is, is sort of pointing the finger at the Senate, um, saying that they're tying the two issues together, whereas the Senate is denying uh, any such thing. Um, so it, it, it's really kind of mind-boggling why they're doing this and why there was a need to come out uh, and say that. I, I spoke with uh, Ron Mariano um, who's the assistant majority leader, and he's also the top negotiator on the uh, marijuana committee. And he said flat out he has not heard uh, anything in the negotiations that are tying the two together. And outside of that, his only knowledge of the two being tied together are Bob DeLeo telling him that he's getting questions about this. So it, 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 it's kind of... Um, it, it, it's kind of baffling where it's all coming from. And I get it that there's some pressure to get a budget done quickly, but they've they passed a one twelfth budget, so they can go through the month of July if they need to. Um, so I sort of think, well, isn't that what lawmakers do? They they sort of bargain and wheel and deal, and you know, if you cut a deal over here, we'll cut a deal over there. It sort of seems like, as you said, the the House has not been above that in the past. You know, doing two bills at the same time would be a little bit unusual. Of course, everybody's denying saying that's not what's happening here. So you have to right. put that caveat. But I don't really see what's wrong with it anyway. Right. Although, and then sometimes something, I mean, this is a complicated big thing, the marijuana law, but sometimes they would be working something like that into the budget itself. So, you know, we're kind of we're kind of saying there's this this this, this clear line between the marijuana bill and the budget. I mean, they are distinct entities, but you know, then that you know, we've all over the years we've always had those arguments back and forth about whether policy issues should be dealt with within the budget. You know, as outside sections, and and you know, people up there seem to be either for that or against it. You know, really depending on what the issue is and what year it is, uh, everybody says they don't think it's the right way to make policy. But again, it it often you know it's kind of the sausage making. It's not always pretty to watch it uh, get made, but but sometimes the pressure of the budget that needs to get done is what you know, will allow some big policy issues to sometimes move through quickly. Right. And there, there's something interesting. Uh, I think it's an interesting dynamic going on with this marijuana legislation. Um, the Senate, as Jack, you pointed out, they want to hew more closely to the, to the referendum passed law. And the House is willing to rewrite it, basically. Um, I sort of personally think that, you know, the tax rate may be a little bit low. I've been sort of convinced of that, so I would side with the House on that. Uh, There's other things that I might side with the Senate on. But 
you guys sort of, I, I sort of get the feeling both sides are digging in like they're, you know, they're, I don't know, there's a big fight here. Should they be compromising or should they be sticking to their guns? Well, I guess it's a question of, I mean, there, all the indications I've gotten is that there is some movement on a lot of it. Uh, the question is, where is that movement? What, how far is it going? Like, is the Senate willing to go from 12 to 14 percent? And the House is coming from there 28 percent down to 16 percent or something? Um, or, or is there something in the middle? Um, well, the, to be fair, the House has said all along, we said it, it this is talking about the tax rate, at 28 percent. And the, the Senate was at 12. And the House has said all along, we're willing to come down from that. It's the Senate that sort of said, you know, we like it the where it is. Well, I mean, the reason that they like it where it is too, the um, the Senate chair of the um, of the uh, Joint Committee on Marijuana Policy, uh, Pat Jalen, has said her concern is if you ratchet up the tax too much, you're not going to eliminate the black market, which is one of the goals of uh, legalizing marijuana, is to get rid of that. So if you make it so that it's so expensive that it doesn't make sense for people to go to their neighborhood uh, store, um, then raising the marijuana uh, tax rate is not going to have that kind of an effect that, that you're looking for. And she points out that uh, there are other uh, states that had a higher initial tax rate, such as Colorado, who found that the the black market, the illicit market, um, in some areas um, not only continued but thrived. So they're revisiting that their tax rate, and that's one of the reasons that she thinks that it should be held, you know, more closely to what the voters uh, approved. Whether you agree with it or not, that's the rationalization for it. It's not just you know we don't want a high tax. Well, that's the rationalization that they give, but their primary rationalization is the voters told us it has to be twelve, and so we're sticking with that. Is that I mean is that a valid argument that the voters insisted on twelve, and so we in the Senate have to go along with? Well, that? I guess it's a question whether or not you think we're a democracy. You know, it's I mean voters pass something. It, it, you know, it's it's not easy to dismiss it and say, um, you know, well, well, the voters said it, but they're not always right. Well, they elected you; they must be right at that point, you know, or you have to agree with that. Um, I think Byron Rushing uh, said it, and, and, and I believe you spoke with him. Um, one of the things that the dilemmas he talked about with the House is that, um, you know, there there's a lot of people that that hear that is dangerous. Um, or they believe that is dangerous, and then they're hearing that voters approve this uh, this law to make it make a substance that's dangerous legal, puts them in this quandary. Well, what then do I do? Um, but the bottom line is that you know laws are often made by voters, whether you like them or not. It's it's a majority rule in a lot of areas, and that's what this is. I mean, I think I have a little more of a a little different view. I mean, I, I think that is. The process, but the process also allows the legislature to change any law they want, and then they would say, "You can change us. You can, you know, we have the option to vote them out of office." I, I mean, I understand all the issues about how hard that is, and 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 how little competition there is for seats in Massachusetts in particular. But uh, it, you know, it's certainly not the first time they've gone in to change a voter-approved law. Now, you know, I think you could maybe say that they're looking to change it, you know, maybe more dramatically than they have some other things. Although, actually, when you think back, there was the clean elections law, which they changed pretty significantly by basically gutting the whole thing and getting, yeah, the income tax reduction. getting rid of it. 
Uh, so there's there's precedent for it. But when, um, when you say that, Michael, with that you know th- that 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 they the statute allows them to change it. Them is two different entities. It is the House and the Senate. Yes, the House wants to change it significantly, but the Senate doesn't. Right. And what the rules require is that they both agree on this. And if they can't, then the vote of law is what takes effect. So whether you think the House is right or not, the Senate still has to agree to that. Right, and that's exactly why, as you and other people have been saying, the Senate really holds the cards here uh, because the default is the law that's been passed by voters. Uh, And I think it's also, as you say, it's fair to point out that the House, which is looking to change this dramatically is, you know, is led by people who opposed the legalization to begin with. So we've kind of, they've said we're against this when it was on the ballot, it's then passed, and they've now been, you know, there is, I don't know if you want to quite say it's the fox in charge of the chicken coop, but I mean, they're they're the ones now overseeing this, and they certainly, uh, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth when, I mean, when you think about it, when Rosenberg referred to the mischief makers, you could easily think that the advocates who put this question on the ballot view the House as the the mischief makers. These are the people who never wanted this to begin with, and now, and, you know, and, and they've been, the advocates have been very outspoken in being critical of the House going in and, and, and uh, starting to, you know, take this thing apart. But I think uh, all that being said, I, I got to agree with the House on, in one sense, now their motivations for pushing these changes may vary all, all across the map, but as someone who also voted on this question. It's a long question. And I think most people were thinking, I'm going in to legalize marijuana. They weren't going in to do all the ins and outs of what this bill entailed. Now, maybe they did. Maybe some people ticked off everything and said, I wouldn't have voted for if it didn't have these 15 things in it. No, I think you're totally right. I I mean, I think I would bet uh, 90% of the people who voted on it didn't know for example, this issue about, you know, would it be local voters or local town, you know, elected officials that could veto having a retail outlet there. Nor do I think most people, I don't think, I'm not sure, I I paid a lot of attention to the tax rate. I mean, those are all, I mean, this is the danger that a number of, you know, legislators have pointed out. And you mentioned, I I mean, Rosenberg, uh, when I talked to him for a, a, a sort of a profile, he was taking the reins as Senate president. He went on and on about his aversion to ballot questions, which I don't think is a view that different from that of most legislative leaders. They well, feel like it's the wrong way to make laws, and uh, but the legislature did kind of set themselves up for this when they didn't want to touch the proposals to legalize this, even though polls were showing it was going to pass. Instead, we had, you know, Baker, DeLeo, Marty Walsh, this whole assemblage of elected officials sort of trying to form this wall of resistance that 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 really didn't have much force when it when it came to the election. See, I, I, I guess I would push back a little on that then. I think that a lot was written about this. This, this was the most um, contentious issue on the ballot last year, so a lot of people mm. wrote about it. A how, lot, about, how about charter schools? Well, even so, I, I think even more than that, this was, um, you know, I think a lot more was written about this. I think the insiders talked about charter schools. I think most people talked about the, uh, the pot law, um, so I think that they I don't were. Know. What, what are you smoking, Jack? <laughs> they, they were aware of the opt-out law. They you know, of the op- opt-out because it was written about quite a bit. They were aware of the twelve percent. Um, Baker and uh, and Marty Walsh highlighted all of that. But all that being said, when you talk about how confusing and how um, 
how complex it was. It was a 25-page referendum that's now being replaced by a 68-page bill by the House. How much easier is that for the average person to understand? Well, but most people don't read legislation that gets passed. Right? Exactly. <laughs> but actually, a lot of lawmakers don't either. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but I think these are probably the types of arguments that my guess is are happening in this conference committee. Three House members, three Senate members. And they're, you know, the House guys are probably saying the voters d voted for legalizing marijuana. They didn't set all these parameters. We, that's our job. The Senate, meanwhile, sometimes gets a little high and mighty. The voters have spoken and we have to hew to it. But my guess is if they do agree to change, and Jack, you say they are willing to change some of the provisions, then, uh-oh, hypocrite, uh, now the voters haven't spoken. We can change it. Uh, so I have a feeling that debate is probably taking place in this conference committee, and and it could be a pretty interesting one. How much do you hew to what the voters want, and how much do you as a legislator want change? And I think what you guys brought up, too, is the, the, the baggage that both branches bring to this issue. The Senate sort of... I'm, I'm grossly generalizing, but sort of likes, wants marijuana legalization. The House, by and large, probably doesn't want it. So there's that tension as well. Now, the House isn't trying to say, let's scuttle the whole thing and try and go back to square one. But they are saying, let's tax mm -hmm. it more heavily and, and make a number of other changes. Well, I, th I think, though, that in some ways that, that some of these... Um, um, amendments that the House wants would essentially scuttle it in a lot of areas. Uh, one of the things that you talk about, not only is the House opposed to um, to legal marijuana as, you know, as, as a general rule, um, I think you find most municipal officials would be opposed to it as well. What the House wants to do is give them control over whether or not it comes into um, the town uh, as opposed to what the referendum calls for, which is the voters to do it, which is a little bit more onerous, but a lot more egalitarian. And, and I think that if you have this provision that allows just the elected officials to decide on opt-out, that you will scuttle this law in a, a good percentage of cities and towns. I, I, you know, I can't say offhand that it's going to be 90% or it's going to be 75%, but we're already seeing that that there's a push on by you know, a couple of dozen towns already to uh, ban it. And what? how does this fit in, what do you guys think, between the sort of history with DeLeo in the House and Rosenberg in the Senate? They've famously crossed swords a number of times in the past. Uh, the Senate often bristling at the way the House, as you said, Jack, in the committee structure, they have the numbers. So if they want a bill reported out or not reported out, they typically have the numbers because they outnumber the senators. And that's been very frustrating for the Senate. And it's a key reason why Rosenberg keeps pushing on this issue because I think his members want more control over at least their bills. But how does this, do you think this is part of that context that the this sort of abrupt point counterpoint by the speaker and the Senate president seemingly over just questions being asked uh, it has something deeper to it, or something more to it than just this one issue? I, I, I think it's hard to not think, think that it doesn't, you know, reflect some of that tension that's been going on, you know, over the last couple of years. As you say, the sort of battle over committee structure and, and authority 
And, uh, you know, I mean, they've both, Rosenberg and DeLeo, they've put on a good show of saying, you know, we all we get along well, you know, and, and I think they have by and large managed to deal with, with legislation uh, as it's come along. But I, I think there is an undercurrent of tension that has existed all along, and, 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 and I think this is it kind of coming out in a way that is, is sort of surprisingly frank and direct for operators up there that tend to send those kind of signals more with, uh, you know, winks and nods and, you know, and, and sort of asides that, that you don't get picked up on so publicly. Yeah, I wonder if this is an avatar for, for that entire relationship because I have more than a few um, sources in the Senate who have said, you know, we have the leverage now, you know, and that's something that has never happened before. So I, I wonder, you know, if, if this is, um, yes, it's the line in the sand as far as, you know, the marijuana goes, but I wonder if it's a line in the sand as far as uh, staking out positions. We finally have the leverage, and once we have the leverage, this is what we can do. Um, and I wonder if that's sending a message. But the, I mean, this is a fairly unique situation, isn't it? It is, absolutely, because like we've said, it's, you know, you, you, the Senate doesn't often get these opportunities to have the upper hand. So sending a message over a unique situation, is, a, is that a long-term view of how you get things done? Or is that just sort of sticking the thumb in the other guy's eye? Well, because I think you can, <laughs> right? Well, I think that that is part a of rare it. opportunity, right? <laughs> that is part. Of it. They haven't had the opportunity. They've had their eyes know. punched quite a few times. Oh yeah, they've got black eyes over there. You know, <laughs> it's all right. All right. So, unless there's anything else you guys want to add, I think we'll uh, say goodbye to all our listeners and recommend that they come back next week. And you can always subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Roll another one. Just like the other one